0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. I grant that there's a lot of changes that are there, that are possible. But at the same time, I also don't want to promise myself or others that I can kill all the demons and all the monsters. You know, sometimes what you can expect is a manageable peace with them or... a a more civil conversation with those demons rather than to kind of extinguish them completely not all
1: demons and monsters are bad right I mean
0: Uh, well you you know I'm I'm hoping they change too those demons can you remember
1: monsters Inc? I mean like (laughs) Sally was pretty cute
0: I'm Ahmad Fawad and welcome to Night School where we talk concepts, theories and society this week. We are joined by Vizla Kumarisan to talk to us about emotional intelligence. Welcome back to the show.
1: Hi what? thanks for having me back.
0: And we say back because this is actually our second attempt at this topic. The first time was cursed by I think Mercury Retrograde it was.
1: Mercury and Retrograde <laughs> apparently.
0: And it's many manifestations. Yeah. But that was a really good discussion that unfortunately didn't turn out for recording. So hopefully we'll Try to replicate the spirit of what was today.
1: But I was also uh, on a show on when do you need therapy? Right. So, you know, it seems like the theme for my being on the show is mental health.
0: Yes, yes. And we can never have enough of that because I think everybody's working through some mental health journey of their own. And this is relevant, right? Emotional intelligence is the buzzword these days because it's not enough to just talk about cognitive intelligence or just, you know, bookish intelligence. We need to know how to handle feelings as well. So where do we start here?
1: Okay, just a little bit of background of uh, emotional intelligence. It's not just a buzzword. It really started off as a book written in the 1990s by Daniel Goleman. And Daniel Goleman is not a mental health professional by training. I think he's a journalist by training. And he caught on to some research done by a few psychologists. And he picked up on a couple of aspects and he wrote a full book on it. It's a big book, but it's worth the read. It's actually not difficult to read, even if you don't have a a mental health professional background. And I've read it twice, I think. And you know, there are different kinds of books like this. There are some books where it talks about a topic and every chapter, it's a, a reiteration of the same points. Right, right. Whereas with this one, every chapter is it's really expanding on this idea and you're really discovering different things about, about this concept. And it's not just about an abstract concept. He also gives a lot of pointers on how you can use this for yourself. Yeah. It's not a self-help book, but If you were looking for a self-help book, this would be a good place to start.
0: Yeah, it's a bestseller that is widely available. And I agree with you. I've glanced at it a few times and it is very accessible for the complicated topics it brings up, right? So how do we understand what it means? So when we say a person's EQ is good, a person's EQ is bad, EQ here being emotional quotient, which is another word for emotional intelligence, what does that mean?
1: Okay. So, uh the way Daniel Goleman he uh he expresses emotional intelligence, he uses four aspects. The first would be uh, there's no actually particular order, but you know, it has four components starting with self-awareness. And self-awareness is all about understanding yourself, understanding what you feel, why you feel what you feel, being able to assess The validity of your feelings, understanding those things, and also, of course, to express self-confidence. And then there's also social awareness. And this is where a very important concept that Daniel Goleman talks about repeatedly in the book. Empathy comes about, and he underlines the fact that empathy is the core of emotional intelligence. So empathy is basically, you know, your ability to understand what another person is feeling. It's not sympathy. It's not pity. Right, It's just basically understanding the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoe. Mm -hmm. And with social awareness also comes organizational awareness. You know, how do you function in a society, in groups? And Daniel Goleman argues that once you have social awareness, you will develop a more service type orientation. And this is also, if you are familiar with the work of Maslow, where he talks about the um, hierarchy of needs. Self-actualization. This will be a core component of that. Right, you can't right. have that if you are not able to empathize and if you don't have the kind of social awareness and, right. the, and the self-awareness to propel you towards that. And the other element of emotional intelligence that's very important is self management. So, this is where, you know, the self control when it comes to anger, when it comes to sadness, and any number of or lust, love, any right. of those things, right? You need self control. The ability to adapt to different circumstances, you know, the ability to have initiative, motivation, and finally, would be relationship management because it, it only means something if it's in relation to other people and learning how to to develop yourself, develop other people, how to bring about change, how to work in a team to have ideal or optimum output and things like that.
0: Sounds like it's a dynamic where the self is always reflecting in its connection relationship with others and context around it. And as you were reading that list, two things came to mind. The first is that the word awareness keeps coming up. The second thing is that it's quite a lot of work. Is yes. it? Uh should we I mean how do we think about that in the sense where I wanna be more emotionally intelligent, but it sounds like it takes a lot of effort. Is it a daunting process? How do I think of what to expect when I want to do that work of improving my emotional health?
1: Okay, so it might appear daunting because Okay, it's it's out of the ordinary, all right? Most of us are caught in this cycle where we just do things without really thinking about it, without maybe even reflecting about it. We just go about our days. We go about the things that we do. Why do you like the what you like? I don't know. I just like it. Mm-hmm. Right? We just We go on like that. We never have to think about what we do, what we say, or what we feel. And in order to develop emotional intelligence, we have to start doing that. Yeah. It might be a lot of work in the beginning, and it's about, like anything else, it's about bringing about a new practice, starting a new discipline, inculcating new habits, but it's the most inexpensive thing ever, unless you invest in therapy, and you may not have to. And it's just about adopting a very inquisitive attitude about yourself.
0: Is the book practical in that sense? Does it give tips? Does it give certain practical ideas you can work with? Yes,
1: it does. You know, it starts from simple things you can do from the moment you wake up in the morning. So like one of the things he talks about is, uh, so he he also talks a lot about the brain and the biology of the brain and how it is, the role it plays in our emotions and also developing emotional intelligence. So we have something called mirror cells in our brains and what it does, it basically mimics stuff and a bad way of doing, uh, saying it is to fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. So one example would be if you're not feeling the best when you wake up in the morning, go to the bathroom, look in the mirror and start smiling. So when you actually look at yourself smiling, you, you know, and you, as your muscles are getting accustomed to it and your brains are firing the message that you are smiling, in a way, it affects your mood. It shifts your mood. You actually do become, I won't say happier. I think happy is a loaded word, but it shifts your mood to a more positive one. Right, That would be one of the many sort of tips that he
0: provides. Right, So those are basically ways to be more self-aware, right? Tracking how self-aware you feel. Self-aware and also
1: manage your emotions.
0: Right. So with the awareness, you understand how you're feeling better. And that way you can regulate more or less, plan your reactions, think about what options you have to, to respond to certain things, so on and so forth. Now, given that I'll be putting a lot of work for this, what is the... And benefit? Like, what do I get from being more emotionally intelligent? I know this is a very naive question because you it want sounds self explanatory. But yeah, I mean, do I sleep better? Do I have better relationships? I mean, what's the payoff?
1: Well, I suppose the external payoff would be better relationships. Whether it's your personal relationships or your professional relationships, you are going to have richer relationships. You're not going to decrease conflict, but you're going to end up with better ways of resolving conflict. Mm-hmm. You are going to understand yourself a lot better, and when you understand yourself a lot better, you will you're less likely to put yourself in situations that's not going to make you happy, right? So that would be the more outward sort of reward. And then in the inner the reward, I won't say it's a path to happiness, but it's definitely a path to good mental
0: health, right, right. And just I'm for not the record. S- I'm not
1: saying it's going to cure anxiety or depression. Sure, sure. But, you know, it's just good mental health it helps you cultivate different habits if you already have depression if you already have anxiety yeah. the practice of this is also going to help you develop insights into your condition and for you to understand what triggers yourself what kind of habits you need to introduce in order to stave off the more severe effects of depression anxiety things like that
0: right yeah self-understanding is half the battle one right then there's a lot of other like legwork you have to put in but just Knowing how you're feeling and explaining that to yourself in a more constructive way I think will go a long way to the yeah. broader goal right?
1: yeah and I think self-awareness is the cornerstone of a lot of not just good mental health but just overall good health if you're self-aware you all understand for example why you keep getting caught in certain relationship cycles mm-hmm or why you might find yourself having similar arguments every time with your significant other or your friend or whatever it is, why you just can't get on your assignments until the very last moment. Developing self-awareness is key to understanding all of these things. Yeah,
0: There's a great deal of trial and error involved too in that, I think, like anything else in life, a lot of the things that we quote-unquote master or get better at comes with practice, comes with reflecting at difficult moments, right? And emotion is probably the most difficult thing to quote-unquote master, right? Because you tend to be overwhelmed, you're taking cues from the immediate environment, whether it's parents, friends, and you mirror to an extent your condition with what they say, so on and so forth. So it's quite complicated. And I think the resolve needed to get through that is very important too.
1: Absolutely. And I think this is why I like the book so much is the first part of the book, the first few chapters, just explains to you what emotions are. Mm -hmm. And it reduces it because, you know, people are so afraid of emotions. Emotions can be so overwhelming. We don't understand. We don't understand it. Like, why do I smile every time I smell coffee? I don't understand it, but Mm -hmm. I do, right? And the first few chapters of this book, it just really simplifies it and it completely demystifies it. Yes, it's it's very neurological. It explains the brain and things like that. But once you understand that, that it's just a bunch of neurons, it's a bunch of synapses and a whole bunch, it stops becoming so scary yeah. and it becomes so much more manageable.
0: And I think that's part of the lure of emotions, right? In that they're not precognitive, but there's a sense in which their force it comes and is felt when you're not thinking, right? Mm. So when you're happy, when you're, you're just exuberant, you can really ride on that because you're not necessarily trying to filter or trying to arrest that passage of feelings, right? But uh, it's a double-edged sword in that you can't have the same attitude for something like a destructive feeling or a very defensive feeling, mm. right? Because that will just swallow you in. <laughs> so how do you maintain that balance, right, between the awareness you need to cultivate good mental health and just sort of going with the flow, right? Because at the end of the day, I'm a very feely person. I like it even as weird as it sounds, right? Even in the more difficult moments, I let happen first sort of so that I can kind of feel it better, right? So, and that I have to renounce my defenses for that to happen, right? Because I don't want to interpret everything immediately too because that's a whole set of other problems. So that balance is very interesting, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, you know, when you're building the habit, you can let things happen, reflect on it later and go back and address what you've done wrong. You know, the practice of saying sorry, apologizing, for example, or just going back and having difficult conversations with people or revisiting a painful event or any of those things. It can always happen later. It doesn't have to happen straight away. It is very exhausting to have these processes happen at the same time, like to do things and to reflect at the same time. It's very exhausting. I suppose you and I do it a little bit more now because we've done it long enough Mm -hmm. to build that practice. And you do something long enough and you recognize whether it's good or bad. So you can stop yourself before you do it, for example. We know what words will upset people. So we don't say those words. We know what behaviors upset people. But we have that knowledge because we've done it in the past. And we've learned from that. And this is also emotional intelligence, right? The ability for you to grow, to understand these things, to not become defensive about it. And to recognize that our experiences are different from other people's experiences and just because we experience it that way, it doesn't mean that's the whole truth and everybody experiences it that way. Right, right. And that comes with you have to be humble about it and just accept that these things happen and it's okay.
0: Yeah. Good boundary management is so important, right? In that you know, you will be dependent on people as, you know, as you just move on with life and you will turn to them when things are difficult. But the extent to which we can count on them, the extent to which they should care for us, I mean, that is a very, very you know, complicated line to draw as well, right? Because they're changing, we're changing, miscommunication happens, words are interpreted wrongly. And like you said, we all have to fall back to those difficult conversations or else what else do we have going on for that connection? Anyway, let's get back to some more details on emotional intelligence. We are discussing Daniel Goldman's famous book and Vizla is helping us figure out some of the key ideas in that. I'm Ahmad Fat Rahmat and this is Night School on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9. I'm Ahmad Farahmat. Alongside Vizla Kumarison this week, we are talking about emotional intelligence, largely focusing on Daniel Goldman's famous book, but also thinking of implications from the points he brings up as well. In the first part of the show, we went over the four key components of emotional intelligence. And uh, right now we're going to continue our discussion on that. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is... The growth that basically emotional intelligence demands and also in a way, quote unquote, promises, right? In that over time, each difficult moment hopefully will reveal like a positive change, more maturity, more understanding yourself so and so forth. But there is that interim or that liminal phase between a transition that I think a lot of people feel discouraged or even... Destroyed by right? Because sometimes, I mean, not sometimes, but all of us, we want to change, but we don't necessarily want to pay the price for that change, right? No. Yeah. So I think an appreciation of time is key here. I mean, going back maybe to my own experience, right? There are things that I learned maybe seven years ago that only make sense now, right? Despite having meditated on it for so long. So it requires a lot of strength. I guess, where does emotional strength come into this?
1: Okay. Before. We go into emotional strength. I'm going to go back to what you said about why people don't change, right? A lot of the reason why people don't change, because change brings about discomfort, right? Um, There is a certain amount of comfort which comes from doing the same thing over and over again. And that's why, for example, I take the same route, because I don't want to it's it's I, I know it's stressful. I know what to expect, right? It might be longer than an alternative route, but I don't know that route. And yeah. this is gonna be enough that, that's one example. And there can be multiple examples why people find it difficult to change their eating habits, why people find it difficult to leave, you know, certain relationships and things like that, right? Because there is certain amount of comfort in that. You develop the notion that you can deal with it because you've dealt with it before, you can deal with it now and Knowing this is better than, you know, going to something you don't know what to expect. And this is where I think emotional intelligence comes in, that ability to manage, to adapt, to control, to all those things. So you can actually sit with that discomfort and understand that the discomfort will pass. It might be very overwhelming to begin with, but the discomfort will pass. And it's just a matter of time. How much time is something nobody knows, right? You know,
0: everybody has their own Path and pace. Everybody
1: has their own path and pace. And, you know, your own past, uh, your own, you know, the state of your mental health, the amount of support you have, the people around you who either encourage your changing behavior or discourage the changing behavior. All this has a role to play in how quickly you adapt or how quickly you change. Ultimately, though, it still comes down to yourself, your ability to perhaps to cut relationships where your change is being discouraged Or to seek out more relationships where you can grow in more positive circumstances.
0: Yeah, and I think the most difficult discomfort is the possibility of loneliness or just the loneliness of making those steps, right? In that we always assume at the back of our minds that certain people are going to be there, that certain kinds of support or presence that we've, whether we realize it or not, relied on, you know, Are essential. But like you said, making those transformations in a lot of ways, in effect, means reorienting a lot of your connections, your friendships, maybe not cutting them off completely, but seeing significant adjustments in how long you spend with them, where you go with them, what you do with them, so on and so forth. And that, you know, in addition to being puzzling can be very, very lonely, and therefore, very discouraging, right? Because nobody wants to to face the possibility that you're on your own. And change will require, at some point, some grappling with that.
1: Yeah. And here is the irony because we're constantly changing, right? Well, okay, we might think, oh, some people, they've always stayed the same. But I speak for myself. I know that I'm not the person I was a year ago let alone 10 years ago, right? You're constantly changing because you're growing as a person, you're growing in knowledge, you're growing in ability, you're growing in skills, you're growing in terms of maturity, emotional health, all those kinds of things, right? And when you change, you will bring about change in your environment. And so there is a constant state of flux. And for some people, this can be very, very discomforting, disconcerting. And yeah, I, I have, I have, I know those people too who, when I meet and they are upset by my change, right? And I have a decision to make. How important is this person and their opinion of me and the changes I've been through? I like the change. Yeah. Right. That's important. I like the change. I'm not doing anything yeah. it that's unhealthy. I'm actually healthier now than I was before. So if somebody else doesn't appreciate that, I can make a decision on what role and place I want to give this person in my life.
0: Yeah. Some people are more predisposed or open to changes, right? But I think you and I too, we know people who, uh, and it's all the more remarkable in time, who don't change or they feel that they change enough. They change everything other than the problem that they've faced for like decades, right? And this is the thing that scares me personally in that where it matters most will find the most resistance, right? So my most difficult ghosts, right? Or like the things that I wrestle with will stay with me forever, right? And maybe there's a way in which we can accept that in order to gain something bigger, right? Because I grant that there's a lot of changes that are there, that are possible. But at the same time, I also don't want to promise myself or others that I can kill all the demons and all the monsters. You know, sometimes what you can expect as a manageable peace with them, or a, a, a more civil conversation with those demons, yeah. rather than to kind of extinguish them completely. Yeah. Right. Not all
1: demons and monsters are bad, right?
0: I mean, uh, well, you, you know, you I'm remember, hoping they change too. Those can demons. Can you remember
1: Monsters Inc.? I mean, like Sally <laughs> was pretty cute.
0: Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, there are a lot of ugly feelings that can be good interlocutors of sorts, you know. But I, I do mean like the more crippling kind of monsters, in the sense that the ones that stop us from you know, uh, being vulnerable, the ones that will only remind us of of hurt, right? I mean, those kinds of things. um, Yeah. yeah.
1: And I suppose, you know, the different emotions will also take different amounts of time to sort out, right? Before, for example, you can make peace with a monster that prevents from being vulnerable, you might have to make peace with the other monsters that are enabling it or have caused it, for example. And all those different monsters will require different things, yeah. right and you know it, 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 it's it's a it's a piece is a long process i suppose
0: yeah and so is reinvention right in that after the the grieving after we've gradually healed right there is this horizon of possibilities right you can socialize in a different way you can start building new bonds and stuff like that and that means becoming quote unquote a new person or showing sides that you never showed before, right? There's different things. and
1: Different facets of yourself.
0: And not everybody welcomes that either because I think, you know, and again, I don't want to sound pessimistic here but I think a certain dosage is is healthy but in that we underestimate how much our pains have actually shaped us. Mm. That, you know, losing them is losing ourselves completely because what are you if not for that struggle? What are you if not for the quote-unquote suffering that comes with it, right? So, I've encountered people like that who have legitimate grievances, right they actually have gone through trauma, they have actually have a right to whine and feel pathetic as they do because they've actually been genuinely hurt. but the idea that they can be someone else other than that right is something that they can't quite grasp yet because yeah. it's not just how they feel but the things they've taught their kids, the kinds of friends they've made, the kinds of neighborhoods they've bought houses in all of it is informed by that hurt right so there's that Brother, how would you say, or not brother, but even that deeper shift that people have to make to become someone else, right, quote unquote, in order to get over the past pain, right? Yeah.
1: And I suppose this is where that self-awareness comes in. When you are self-aware, you realise you are not only that one identity. You are not, yes, our traumas have shaped us. Our traumas have, to a large extent, determined what we care about, what we do, you know. I speak for myself even when I say that, but that's not the only thing about me, right? That's not the only identity I have. And while my trauma has shaped me, I am not my trauma. So that kind of awareness is very important to cultivate. And, you know, Daniel Goleman, if I recall correctly, talks about this as well. And he talks about also how you can come out of those things. For example, trying different activities, trying different, you know, doing different things or doing things differently differently. To explore those parts of yourself, which might have been neglected, which might have mm-hmm. been undiscovered, which might have been lost because we've built all these defensive mechanisms around us. To explore those things slowly, but that also requires a bit of work in the sense of feeling safe. Yeah. So you might not you know, be able to do this on your own. Yeah. You might have to reach out and seek the help of a mental health professional. Yeah. And this is the other thing, you don't have to do this alone, right? There are people out there, If mental health professionals aren't the one for you. There are a whole bunch of spiritual, you know, teachers who also actually help you cultivate this. Yeah, I think I've said this before on the show, you know, um, a lot of religion and a lot of spirituality is about discovering your true self. And that's exactly what emotional intelligence is about. We're developing the self-awareness. And in order to get to your true self, you just need to quiet all that sound, yeah. all that noise. And this noise and sound is our, our, our uh, mental health issues. They are our insecurities. They are our, you know, the different voices in our heads, the different monsters that we live with that mm-hmm. tell us that we can't do certain things or we'll never be certain people and who quell all our... They don't quell. They completely diminish all our aspirations and hopes. Uh, And these are the voices we need to make
0: quiet. So in that quiet, one day it happens to somebody. I mean, I know people who have climbed out of very, very difficult things. You know, I've learned a lot from them too. And there is that calm after the storm, right, where they gradually live out days where they're just better and they don't realize it like, oh, oh, wow, I actually made gains, right? Because I actually focus on improving how I feel. But We don't just want to be survivors forever, right? So the next thing is to, in that reinvention, is to flourish, is to thrive, Thrive. right? So what does that look like?
1: I don't know. I'm trying to discover that myself. But I suppose when you thrive, that's where it's not a state where you will not have insecurities. It is a state where you are able to reach beyond what you expect of yourself despite your insecurities, right? It's about discovering your limits and then breaking them and going beyond them. You'll always discover new limits, right? You'll always hit your your wall or whatever it is, your threshold or whatever it is. And then you can make a decision about what you want to do. Are you quite happy there or do you want to transcend that? I suppose in my head, that's what I think that thriving means. But it can mean different things to different people. And this is the great thing about emotional intelligence. You really can make it to mean what you think it is. Right. As long as it's it's encouraging the four elements, as long as you're seeing positive shifts in your relationship with yourself and other people, you're on the right track.
0: Yeah. I do also warn, though, that not to overestimate our resilience, right? I mean, the heart can only take so many wars. Right. And the earlier you dodge those wars, the better. Because, you know, life is short, obviously. But the fact of the matter is that the recovery time, the the, what is implied in what we're saying here is that it's a slow cook. Right. It is a slow cook. So I think But it is a cook. It is a cook. No, I grant that that there's a lot of room to change, but I think we can get more robust outcomes if we detect the problems earlier. Right. And I think this is where I'm a big advocate of people having these types of conversations and seeking, you know, mental health advice as soon as they can too.
1: Yes. I mean, the earlier the better, of course. But then again, it's never too late to start. Mm-hmm. You know, this is why I was tell a lot of people. I'd have a lot of people who come to me and ask, it, is it too late? It's never too late. You know, the most important thing is you are here now mm-hmm. and you're willing to do the work. Those are the two important things, I think. And not all of us are able to... To do it as early as possible. Like, you know, for example, adult survivors of childhood abuse, they go through a large part of their adult lives, not even realizing that they had experienced abuse. So by the time they realize something needs to be done, it might be two divorces and 10 affairs afterwards, right? right? You know, so, but then again, that's not important, right? What's important is you are there now. Yeah. So Yes, of course, ideally, the earlier the better, but I don't think people should be too hung up about the early part.
0: True, true. Everybody leaves a rubble of some sort, you know, to climb out of. But
1: Yeah, and I don't think that is the matter. You know, yeah. we all leave rubble, we all leave mess, exactly. but it's about how you deal with it afterwards. That's the most important thing.
0: Speaking of dealing with it, I mean, we have to kind of get back to the mire, right, in that most of our problems, a lot of it is in relationships, amid relationships. And there is a sense where compromise is often thought of in terms of discomfort or sacrifice or, you know, giving beyond what you're ready for. I mean, there's a sense where literally we are giving ourselves in order to nurture certain relationships, right? There's no way in which any relationship is going to be like perfect and everything's like totally 100% clear, right? They're changing, we're changing, like I said before. But how does that come into play in that if we really want to do this work of being more emotionally aware, we'll need support from friends, from partners, right? But those support, they already have a history of their own, right? So they're going to come trying to help, maybe not necessarily with their own issues sorted, right? So what are the role of partners? How do you negotiate already existing relationships in this improvement?
1: Yeah, so I think um, the best way to go about it is to just have really open conversations. And again, I tell people this isn't going to happen overnight. It's something that you'll have to invest in, cultivate, encourage, do a lot of work towards, right? I mean... I'm bookish. I, you know, admit that I'm a nerd. So a lot of my conversations tend to be centered around books. So giving partners or friends certain books you've read, sending them articles that you've read, and then starting discussions around that is a very safe way to do it. And then once you do that, you start seeing a shift in the way you communicate with people. You start asking. It's a safe way to ask difficult questions. It's a first step towards developing the kind of reflexivity and reflectivity that is necessary for the kind of growth to happen. So in that way, you're actually learning together. You're not leaving people behind. People might have their different paces, but they're at least on board with what you are trying to do. And They all might admit their limits and you have to admit yours, but at least it's the start of a conversation that's necessary to take place. And you can decide if people can't have those conversations, what place you're going to give them in your life, in your growth.
0: Actually, you're right uh, in that a lot of these questions are universal anyway. It's not like someone's like scored 100 of 100 in their EQ, right? Because emotions are always in flux. You're changing. You're trying to navigate and negotiate those changes and how you feel. So in this regard, you know, you can always have friends who can help out, who can kind of connect with these questions, right? How to feel better, how to do more justice to what you're going through and how do you process emotions, uh, you know, adequately.
1: And it's important also to bear in mind that it's not 100 out of 100 because growth is infinite. There is no limit to it. As long as you're adopting positive behaviors, as long as what you're doing is bringing about positive change and positive mental health and positive attitudes, that's your best bet. That's all you can hope for. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's it's a process that really isn't going to end until literally the end. Yeah. yeah. Right. And we need to also shift our perception about it's not an exam. You have to ace.
0: Yep. And it's not something that you always have to have an answer for, right? Nope. I think if you reach these dead ends, it's okay to not know. And it's okay for somebody you're supporting, somebody you're seeking support from to not know too. Absolutely. And you can kind of like start over and figure things out together. We have to pause here. Uh, this is a very good conversation where we can extend another episode because I think like you said it's infinite so uh, (laughs) more episodes to come on this topic but uh, you are on Twitter
1: I am on Twitter at Vizla Okay, and of course you can also catch me and Fuad on our show Digital Desires uh, which is on on alternate Wednesdays and you can find us on Facebook Uh, just search for Digital Desires on the search engine
0: while you're at that look up Night School on uh, Facebook as well it's at BFM Night School on that page be sure to like it if you haven't yet or email the show gmail.com and download our apps uh, the BFM app that is at the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store thanks again Vizla for sharing your knowledge oh, and this it's really pleasure. fun conversation I'm Ahmad Fat Rahman alongside Vizla Kumarisan and this is Night School on BFM 89.9 The Business Station